Welcome back, South Carolina. I'm your host, Brandon Peak, and this is Podcast 1854. Welcome back, South Carolina, to Podcast 1854. I'm your host, Brandon Peak, and today we're joined by Lauren Martell, who is running for the Attorney General here in South Carolina. Miss Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brandon. It's great to be here. Yes, ma'am. So um, can we get into who is Lauren and what got you to where you are today? Well, Brandon, I am an attorney, mm-hmm. and I have been in the great state of South Carolina for 30 years. I'm a wife and a mother, and I've had my own law practice, and I have had so many wonderful cases um, that I love helping people. I love advocating for people who need a voice or mm-hmm. who have problems. I'm a problem solver by nature. Yeah. So it makes me a really great fit for the attorney general's office because a lot of the cases that I've been doing over the last five years and mm-hmm. two years in particular are exactly what the attorney general should be doing. And as a private practicing attorney, I wouldn't be getting these cases if the attorney general were doing his job. Mm, valid point. Valid point. Mm-hmm. So since you brought that up, let's just go ahead and kind of dive right in then because um, what, when you say the the kind of cases, so where, where do you stand with that and how our attorney general now is representing the state or defending the state, should I say? Well, that's a great, great point. And Brandon, I'll start with in 2015, I represented a plaintiff, actually right out of here in Columbia, okay. suing then-Governor Nikki Haley to stop unlawful refugee settlements in South Carolina. The refugees are continuing to come in illegally, unvetted, mm-hmm. and unaccounted for, even as we speak today. That's right. That's a real problem for our state. In 2020, I also represented a, a leader in the um, Republican Party, Presley Stutz and many other conservative Republicans to sue to have a state convention, which the state convention ended up being virtually divided into counties. This is an example, though, where the elite donor base of the Republicans pick and choose almost mandate candidates, if you really want to know the truth. Mm -hmm. But that was an interesting lawsuit because we found out a lot about what was going on with, like I said, the donor base of the uh, Republican Party. Yeah. And this I can is, see that. Yeah. I and, can. And, you know, that's one of the things as we're coming up into this primary, a lot of the challengers, which in if you ever played sports, you know how important it is to have a challenger, to mm-hmm. even be able to play your best. That's right. And it seems, and I've been a Republican since I was 18 years old and voted for Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, he's my favorite. As I you know. can tell, his books and bobblehead, yeah. like, yeah, yeah I love him. And, you know, we've come so far from there, Mm -hmm. though, where the Republican creed is a beautiful, wonderful um, beacon and standard to live up to. Obviously, the Bible, the highest standard, the Word of God and the truth. That's right. But um, Republicans seem to be running away from any sort of challenges. They Mm -hmm. like to do things um, insidiously in the dark. And this was one of the things that I think a few of the Republicans who have that sense of the Republican creed, they don't want to take incentive for dole, and they want to be able to debate ideas and not have their own free speech censored. And that's something that we're seeing. And so we looked into that in that particular lawsuit. The most horrifying lawsuits that I've brought over the last couple years 
have um, been where I represented several patients in life or death battles suing the hospitals mm. to try to get these people um, medical choices okay. in the hospitals. And, you know, many of your listeners may know, I also worked with Presley Stutz as he was in the hospital and his family who have allowed me to speak about these things because it's such a public interest situation. Hundreds, if not thousands of South Carolinians have found themselves either in the situation or know a loved one or a friend who is in the situation. And that's with the medical medical freedom, Medical right? freedom, that's, that's right. right. Yes. And on the other side of that coin, we call it medical tyranny, mm-hmm. which once you got into the hospital, there was a, a unilateral track that doctors weren't really allowed to prescribe other medications despite families going in and asking for an alternative protocol. For mm-hmm. example, asking for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or the FLCCCA protocols, which is a vitamin supplement. Um, Instead, what we were finding absolutely across the board was a COVID protocol that included remdesivir, not really treating the underlying bacterial infections. People would build up up fluids in their bodies Mm -hmm. and then they wouldn't be able to breathe and eventually they would go on a ventilator and then depending on who the individual was, it was just a slow watching the clock right. to death. I've heard um, about that. And, and, and it actually, it took them quite a, quite a while to even catch on to that. And they were kind of, um, honestly, by not knowing exactly what was going on, they, they, did, they, put, they put thousands of people and their lives in danger because of that. Absolutely. And a whistleblower doctor finally came to me and said, look, about an 85% failure rate. So people who are going on this protocol, it's it's unsustainable. And in any other business, mm-hmm. when you have that kind of a failure rate, you're a businessman. Yeah. You know that you would change something up. You would have to. Even still, it's still basically the go-to protocol in mm. South Carolina. The success stories of this were two of the people after I learned what happened in Presley's case. Mm-hmm. And I remember the attorney who challenged me and, you know, you're working against time is of the essence in these cases, you know, you're working against the clock. This attorney challenged me at, well, you can move him to another hospital. We'll cooperate with that. Somebody's on a ventilator. You need that kind of cooperation. Mm -hmm. Um, But he challenged me to find a hospital in South Carolina that would do anything differently. Hmm. And of course, this was the first situation where I, I thought, oh, I'll find a hospital that's nearby that we can have what this family wants to do, and we've got a doctor who's willing to do it. That's right. Um, but we hit brick wall after brick wall. So it did not save wow. his life, and I believe he passed prematurely and, and did not have to pass. Oh, God bless his family. Yes, that's I know. That's sad. I hate to hear that. Mm-hmm. Did they, I mean... Whenever you guys were in the process of doing the transfers and, and you know, from calling hospital to hospital, w- w- was you asking about the protocol and why they wouldn't accept it or why they wouldn't, you know, l- go and listen to the family and give the treatment that the family was asking for? Yes, we did. And basically all the nearby hospitals around there had were subject to, through hospital administration, subject to a formulary which was a specific protocol for treating Mm COVID-19 and the pulmonologists were um, you know their hands were tied even at the other hospitals 
to even treat with these other medications at that time that mm. this man was going through the situation. Now, in two other cases, after I learned how difficult it was, we collaborated with some doctors and nurses um, who started looking at these situations like they were hostage situations where people go in, wow. they're separated from their families, and they don't have advocates. They're on a track of, of this COVID protocol. And in one case, we filed the lawsuit and we got a doctor who had admitting practices and the judge in, in a, just, it was a phone conference, mm -hmm. got enough in for the other hospital attorney to say, okay, we'll let this guy go in, the doctor who has admitting practices, uh, an admitting license. And he went in and crunched up the ivermectin. This man had been on a ventilator for like 27 days. Mm. Younger man with father of children, small, younger children. And within a certain period of time, he got off the ventilator mm. using this protocol. So the two cases of success stories where we have gotten the ivermectin or the family member was able to leave against medical advice and get out of the hospital before they ventilated them, yeah. they've lived to tell about it. Wow, so that's awesome. those are the lawsuits that I've been involved in. An attorney general should be looking at uh, the pharmaceutical markets. Mm -hmm. There's antitrust laws. There's monopoly laws um, where you're pushing one protocol over another and there's financial incentives. I was about to say it all boils down to money. Yeah. And, you know, the attorney general also looks into Medicaid, Medicare fra fraud, insurance fraud. And one thing's, thing that's interesting about all of these cases I've been involved in, there's been no real true bill that comes from the hospital either. And again, one of the whistleblower doctors has mentioned if people knew how much money the hospitals got for these COVID deaths, mm -hmm. they'd be storming the hospitals right now. So imagine. the hospitals are starting to forgive it, forgive the forgive the bills, not give the patients um, or their family members the whole bill. They, they forgive part of the bill. Mm. And then the creepiest thing, you know, Brandon, one of the creepy things about this is they pay the funeral expenses or offer to pay funeral expenses for COVID deaths. Mm. Um, that's unusual. That is very unusual. So these are the kind of things that if you think some sort of manipulation of the market, price gouging, suppression of one, um, you know, suppression of very reasonably priced medications that would be life-saving versus pushing another one, that's in the purview of the attorney general. Um, another case that I had was I represented federal contractors suing to stop the federal vaccine mandates, and they were at the Savannah River nuclear site in Aiken. Yeah, and that was going to be that, as where they, they come down with the mandates, and it's either get, get the jab or go home unemployed. Exactly. And that's, that's a sad, you know, whenever you're, you think about America and you hear something like that, that's that's the last thing I would have ever expected. You know, it's like the flu shot. Um, you, you pick and choose if you want it. If you don't get it, that's that's fine. You know, this is this is going to end up being uh, just uh, another common flu. You know, it, once we get a, a better grasp, which you know, every day we find something new. But uh, when I say new, um, a better way to to understand it and new ways to deal with it and treat it. But I just I would have never thought, even as a firefighter, you know, when it's coming down the line saying, hey, um, you know, just heads up, but this is coming down the pipeline. 
And so it's like, what do you, what do you do? You know, you're, you're going to call us heroes one year and then the following year you're going to call us unemployed. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, right. that's sad to think here in America that that's what it's boiling down to. And we've got to get a grip on it. And I'm surprised that it even got that way in South Carolina, you know, and like you said, you're having to take these cases up. So it, it makes me wonder what the attorney general was doing. Right. And this is, you know, what was he doing two years ago as this was coming down? I mean, you started hearing it before it mm-hmm. even happened, you know. But the other point is he's going to say, well, I jumped on a lawsuit in a different jurisdiction because he he says notoriously that the 4th District is a very liberal district, which it is mm-hmm. in South Carolina federal court. But he jumped on somebody else's lawsuit. He joined other states, and he didn't protect South Carolina mm. in real time and Very protect the South Carolinians. And the gentleman that I represented, um, you know, they had high-level clearances, and they should never feel that they're coerced. And that was like coercion 101, that you either take this jab or, or you lose your job. And across the board, their religious exemptions and their even medical exemptions, which were very clear um one gentleman had an inflamed heart anyway Mm. so his doctor said it's probably not a good idea for you to take this and these um requests for exemptions were denied blanketly by the employer so these kind of things should be uh investigated by Mm -hmm. the attorney general um and again another thing is the manipulation of the pharmaceutical and the medical market the people who are making the money off the testing, the people who are making the money off the vaccines, the people who get then the, the contracts with DHEC, because it is up to the attorney general to make sure that the agencies who are not elected by the people, right? I mean, the whole theme of my running to be the attorney general is to give the power back to the people. That's right. And I the like people that. actually already hold it anyway. Yes. If enough people would have said no to the masks, that gateway would have stopped it right in its tracks right there. Certainly we need to say no at this point because things are coming in in very fast time that are going to be very hard to get back. Once, you know, freedom and liberty is lost, it's very hard to get it back. It is. It is. It truly is. I mean, look at Russia, look at China, places like that. I mean, but you touched on something, you know, and it, we've always had the right, like you say, we're the ones that put people where they are when they're elected. You know, we the people, that's mm-hmm. that's it. We vote, we put them there. So why do you think the response wasn't as as big as it should have been whenever that stuff come down uh, far as, you know, the, the, the mandates and the mask and, and all this and that? Do you think it was fear of the unknown or do you think it was pressure or what? I think it was a culmination of those those things, and this, I, I tell people, and again, why I'm running to be the Attorney General in the primary is on June 14th, and we need to get people to vote, and we need to get people activated, and voter integrity is one of my issues as well, but we are in an asymmetrical geopolitical war, mm-hmm. and through administration and unelected agencies... We call it the Leviathan of the administrative state, right? That's not anything that you've elected, but it's there. That's right. And it's, and it's really entrenched 
hospital administration, when you think about all of the different administration, school, court administration, you know, and it even ekes into private business with mm. um, large HR kind of um, administration. Yes, it does. We don't elect those people. We've elected politicians, but the politicians take so much money and rely so much on the large corporations that they forget who they represent anymore. That's right. And there, therein lies the big rub. So when this came down the pike, we didn't have anybody who was really advocating for the people. They were advocating for this to happen. We had politicians who wanted people to be tested over and over, who wanted people to be masked up. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people were making money on these PPE, uh, oh, for PPE sure. yeah. equipment and all of it. And, um, and even the personal paycheck protection and all these things that were happening, That's that was point. well orchestrated in advance. And certain people got certain amounts. And, um, and all of a sudden, the banks that weren't doing very well at the time were flush with money. I mean, yeah. everybody got it directly deposited right into their bank. It's not like you got your cash delivered to you, right? Cash yeah. wasn't there. It was money in the bank. So where we are now, and probably one of the biggest things that we're looking at, are something called ESG, which is Environmental Social Governance. And that's sort of a FICA score for how people live individually. Hmm. And our own treasurer, Curtis Loftus, was speaking to a large group and warning people about how ESG is coming in through corporations. And they get scores and get, you know, benefits, grants, whatever it is based on how their score is. So they're bringing this to the individual now, and that's already going on in China. And mm. we are, we don't want to look like China. No, we, we want don't. a free South Carolina. That's right. And I'm a South Carolina first candidate. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on, but I am not banging the war drum right now like Lindsey Graham is and the, uh, you know, globalist uh, Republicans in lockstep with some of the Democrats right now banging for war yeah. again and we need I'm to kind of questioning Lindsey Graham you know seriously um yeah. I mean like you said banging the war drums I mean the last thing we need is a war I mean we have already spent close to a billion dollars mm-hmm. on aid but yet we can't protect our border here in America and and don't get me wrong you know I understand we have treaties we have responsibilities and 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 all that totally get it but how can america be strong if we can't even protect our own country from look at the southern border it's it's happening they, there was just a gunfight uh, over there a few days ago whenever a cartel member uh, the leader of a cartel was arrested and they actually i mean they shut they shut it down the bridge down i want to say for um a couple of days but i mean there was gunfights there was explosions uh, cars was on fire it was just it was incredible and it's like you know things you know how b- gutsy they have to feel or free they have to mm-hmm. feel for the cartel to even walk up to our border and start shooting and engaging you know with with our law enforcement agencies because they know a they can outnumber them b you, you know ice they, they're trying to dismantle that and the Biden administration just keeps covering it up and act like it doesn't exist. So in Joe's mind, he's probably glad Russia did what they did. So it would kind of take some of the attention off the border, but it's still going on every single day. And I just think that, you know, we need to sit back a little bit <clears throat> and, and look 
you know, take care of us first, and then we can help. Because if we're not strong, we can't help no one else. And then we've depleted everything we've had. Like, I mean, 80% of the world's currency from, you know, the American dollar, 80% of it that's in, that's in motion right now was just printed in the last two years. And that is, when I sit here and think about that, that's mind-blowing. 80% of the currency that is in, you know, that, that is in play today was printed in the last two years. I agree with you 100%. I mean, it reminds me of when you're on an airplane and they say, look, you know, you're going to have to put the oxygen, uh, sorry about that, the oxygen on your um, face first before yeah. you go and help somebody else so that you can actually be in a place where you can help somebody else. South Carolina needs to help South Carolina right now. That's South right. Carolina has to be, you know, a state, an individual state. And that leads me into one of the next issues um, that's a part of my platform, mm-hmm. and that's to protect our heritage in South Carolina. Yes, you know, I like that. when communism comes in, it wants to just say, you know, forget about your traditions, forget about your history, forget about the monuments, forget about places. Um, and some of these monuments are actually put up because the people who died in those wars didn't even have a, a, a graveyard. Mm-hmm. They were just buried where they, like, you know, died. That's right. And didn't come home. So widows and, you know, orphan children from, you know, these wars saved up some money and put together some memorials. And that's why they should be protected. That's right. I agree. And, um, and our attorney general, you know, did not do that. In fact, you know, gutted the Heritage Act right out of the gate. And then with some of the different um, monuments and um, other things that should be protected, he has not done that. So I was part of a lawsuit. When I say this, I mean, I'm doing the job that the Attorney General should be doing. Mm. Uh, Calhoun was demoed and came down in Charleston. Yes, I remember that. He's in storage right now. Well, the lawsuit that we had to bring, and I was part of, was there was a vote by the local council there, Mm -hmm. and they were very close to getting their way to send him to Los Angeles, California. That's right. That's right. And those people have a bad reputation. Degraded. Yeah. It really was in, it was quote unquote in an art, um, you know, to be an art exhibit, but the other monuments. That would have got torn up, dismantled. Some accident would have happened. There Mm -hmm. would have been an insurance claim filed and a check wrote, and that would have been it, but Mm -hmm. they would have won because they would have tore it up and, you know, um, I, if I'm not mistaken, did the family, didn't the family sit there and reach out and say, hey, look, you know, whenever we put this up or our, our ancestors put this up, it, it needs to come back because they actually own the rights to it, don't they? I believe that the title is still up for question, but um, some of the plaintiffs were named Calhoun. Mm-hmm. And there's um, a question on where he's going to be, you know, re, you know, re put back up. Um But, yes, the family came in, and through that lawsuit, it stopped him from going, you know, to a different time zone where he would probably have been defiled. And that you raise a good point because, you know, taxpayers are paying for the storage. Taxpayers are paying for some of the stuff. But this is also a fiduciary duty because this is an asset. I mean, if you were going to just go and say, like it or not, uh, if you went and got an appraisal done by the Smithsonian, mm-hmm. which, you know, we hadn't done that yet in that lawsuit. But the question is, it's pretty much irreplaceable. I mean, this is going to be an, yeah, an, right. an, a lot of, you know, money and it's an asset. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So in this history, I mean, you know, I tell people all the time, history is not meant for us to like or dislike. If you do, that's fine, but that's not what it's for. It's it's meant to learn, to teach us a lesson. You know, we, we, we literally pull from history all the time. The COVID vaccine, we pulled so much from history, and we looked mm-hmm. at other pandemics and epidemics and viruses and plagues and all this and that, and that's how we were able to kind of guide ourselves through as far as the, you know, the medical part when it comes to uh, the vaccinations and things like that or how to treat it, what to do, different things like that. So, again, you don't have to like it. You don't have to, you, you know, you don't have to dislike it. But um, it's it's totally up to you. But to erase history or to, I call it selective, you know, history where they pick and choose what they want to teach you or what they want to take away. And I just, I'm, I'm not with that. You know, we need it all, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. Well, you're, you're absolutely right because history does repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And also there's just something to be said about traditions. And, and now people who, you know, are Christian are afraid to say, yeah, we're Christian. I mean, think about how many churches shut down during this whole thing. And pulpits have been, you know, um, almost gagged with. That's right. Because they want to be politically correct. Um, and, you know, that's not what the Constitution allows for. That's right. Government should not step on inalienable rights. I think they have their hands in too much right now. You're absolutely right. Just the overreach. And that's just one of the buffers that an attorney general's office would do Mm -hmm. to make sure that the Constitution of the state of South Carolina is enforced and unconstitutional overreach from even the agencies like DHEC or, um, you know, DHEC sort of like the CDC at the state level, but to make sure that the federal stuff doesn't come in too much too. And we're very addicted to the federal money. Mm -hmm. And that's what ties a lot of this to it with the CARES Act and with, you know, a lot of the COVID relief. But even that being said, there is a level of, you know, pushing back from that office that should happen. So there's not so much confusion. I mean, think about how confusing these last two years have been. People are like, well, you don't have to wear a mask in the state building. Oh, but you do have to wear a mask in the courthouse up until March 1st yeah. of this past year. These these arbitrary and capricious, you know, they weren't even laws. They were these ordinances, policies. That's right. People were making it up as they were going along. And this kind of confusion has no place in our, the state of South Carolina. It but doesn't. It truly doesn't. And, you know, I've seen people tased. I've seen them tackled, um, uh, handcuffed, drug off, all because they would not put a mask on. Right. And I'm sitting here, you know, I've seen a video of parents at, uh, you know, football games and they wouldn't put a mask on. They're outside. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm certified in hazmat operations. So I'm I'm here to tell you that there's not a bit of training that I've had. And every year we have to get recertified in bloodborne and airborne pathogens. This virus is an airborne pathogen. Right. So we have to get recertified because things are constantly changing and adapting. So you have to learn what's going on and to sit there and you know the fact that they'll tell you put your mask on when you're not talking keep it on but when you're talking take it off and I'm sitting here like what does that not okay so when I'm releasing spit from my mouth and I'm opening my mouth I'm allowing everything to exit and enter but yet you want me to take my mask off at that moment. But when I'm sitting there with my mouth shut and I'm not releasing anything, then you want me to cover it up. 
like I, I didn't get it and then they tell you at first one mask w- was good now you have to do a double layer you know you need two masks a mask on a mask and it's just like what nothing i ever studied y- you would need a self-contained breathing apparatus to be completely safe and that's you know what we would use if we was to go in hazmat suit you know breathing air that would keep you safe and I, and i would always refer back to the emergency room in, or the intensive care unit if that mask that people wore was keeping them safe, why wasn't the doctors in the intensive care units wearing the same thing? They wasn't. They had all these body armors. Well, they had full hazmat suits on is what they had. So if it was that simple, they would have had a mask on too. They had a full hazmat suit on when they was in the hospital because they knew just how serious it was. So it kind of, it, it's it's almost like... Um, a blind sheep herder you know right you know and but even you know if you're on the right track even a blind sheep herder you know them you know you'll know his voice Mm -hmm. right if you're if you know the truth if you know the truth you know the truth and i think that's why a lot of people were convicted and said this is arbitrary and capricious Mm -hmm. this is not really science at all even though they were trying to bill it as science it's actually the counter to science yeah and um and these ordinances were violating people's religious, you know, exem- exemptions and, and everything like that. And, you know, our our state motto is, well, I breathe, I hope. That's right. And South Carolina needs to breathe again. Breathe freely, not masked up, not mandated by all of these things that are absolutely unconscionable, illegal in my opinion, and many unconstitutional and here's some of my questions, you know, and I'd like answers to these, these this questions. Is, this is for our, our current attorney general? For our current attorney general. Okay. Why hasn't Alan Wilson brought any lawsuits to keep biological men out of the girls' locker rooms, women's bathrooms, or girls' sports right now? Good point. And we're a big, the South Carolina Federation of Republican Men, we've actually put a stance out on saving women's sports. It, mm-hmm. was, it was authored by our uh, public policy and legislative affairs director Gerald Byrne, he was the one that wrote it, um, and it's it's a very strong stance. And you know, we will fight tooth and nail to stand up and save women's sports. We're actually hosting a rally tomorrow on the second floor, you know, at the state house from ten to twelve in its own, you know, states' rights and medical freedom. And and again, saving women's sports is is something that should have been done that is a very great question of why a lawsuit has not been filed or something been filed to say no this is unacceptable because we've had uh how many people raped throughout the country from people saying uh i identify as a female and then they go into a bathroom and they commit these lewd and horrible acts but really they're not identifying as a they're just saying that right just to get in that bathroom and it's like, what more evidence do you need? I mean, just click on, you know, turn on the channel, depending on what you're watching, look it up. The research is there. So that you raise a very, very valid that that's 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 a very good point. I wonder why it has it. Mm-hmm. And then another. Why hasn't Wilson brought lawsuits against the hospitals that refuse to treat with ivermectin? Mm He's going to say that he can't get in, up in between, you know, private contracts and things. But if there's something more going on, 
you know, he should be able to pursue that more aggressively, especially when people are bringing him evidence of it. That's right. Let me ask you this real quick. So when you said that, I, I go back to a case that I um, was researching on uh, Jason. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember his last name. Jason Weed, maybe. But um, anyway, he was getting a kidney transplant. He's mm-hmm. been in kidney failure since he was like 10 years old. And then, you know, it was it was getting good. And then it would kind of go down. Well, he was on a transplant list. And then back in November, MUSC sent him a letter saying, hey, if you don't get this shot by the beginning of January, then we're mm-hmm. taking you off the transplant list. Okay. So again, the beginning of January come and he didn't get the shot. They was like, Hey, they called. Is there anything we can do to convince you to get this shot? And he said, no, I don't want it. I don't want the shot. And they said, well, we're taking you off the transplant list and they took him off. And so the doctor told him you have around five to seven years left of your life. And I've talked about this on the show before. So my thought process is, and I've said it live, that was a death sentence because the doctor said you have five to seven years to live. He's already in about two and a half years into his dialysis treatment, Mm -hmm. five to seven years. So if he doesn't get the vaccination, then he can't get his transplant. So was that right that he was able to um, sit there and and they were able to, you know, he, he was on the transplant list. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden, because he wouldn't take a vaccine, they took him off the transplant list. Right. And there's no state of emergency right now. That's I mean, there's well, a, and where's the logic in that? Because, right. you know, my thing is, if you, you're an attorney, so if I come to you and we sign an agreement, then everything that we discussed or the services provided is going to be outlined in that agreement, right? So if there's nothing in that agreement that states that if something happens and I have to have you know, a, a, a shot, then I'm clear because it's not in our agreement. So therefore, I, I mean, I, I think MUSE was wrong. I think mm-hmm. that someone needs to sue him. And I hope that Jason, you know, gets the help he needs. I know that there was a legislator that is going to file some papers and go after, you know, uh, hospitals and things like that that refuse treatment because of that Mm -hmm. but it's sad that we're even at a point to where we have to get involved and it goes back to what i just said get more government involved you know Mm -hmm. now we have to write these bills to say hey you can't do that and the insurance companies cannot refuse you know to pay the bill just doesn't make any sense and i'm yeah i i I still can't process that well it's a nice idea about you know the you know laws that protect but honestly we don't really need any more laws we just need our constitution to work for us we need to use go back to the basic laws we have great laws on our books exactly that could be that could be used and that is a terrible story but i think your friend made the right choice because so many people who have actually taken the vaccine and the boosters and you know it's never really actually enough i don't know him personally yeah it was just a story that that i read and i saw it on the news and Mm -hmm. um it, it come up and because he was, he was from the upstate area, mm-hmm. and I, I spoke about it on the podcast. And it just, when I heard it, and then you hear him talking, it just, it blew my mind. It well, my and mind. I have heard of other, other people's and other stories where they got taken off lists for, you know, um, organ donation because of not taking the vaccine. And, you know, that was a personal choice. And I have to say that, you know, maybe five to seven years, if you don't 
but you may have a lot shorter lifespan if you do take the vaccine. There are more and more people who are being vaccine injured, and I think they're tracking the data on that mm -hmm. right now. People having inflamed hearts and, and all sorts of things. And, um, you know, there's there's sort of a, a it's, it's a spoof joke, but it makes you think where somebody says, well, if I gave my dog three va rabies vaccinations in one year and he still got rabies, I'd start to question something. And that's the same thing with these um, COVID shots. We argued, in fact, um, you know, the state of vaccination definition and law goes back to the smallpox in the early 1900s and that's mm -hmm. the state of the law. And then there's certain case law that um, talks about vaccinations in schools and who can be exempt and who can't. Actually, the Amish came and argued and fought and won in some cases, and there's a, a variety of case law on it. Um, we really got into, you know, bodily integrity on this in, in the in the um, legal arguments about this. That's right. And one of the things that our Supreme Court, if you want to take it to the federal level and just talk about the the difficulty for, you know, for us to fight this, is that the Supreme Court um, latched on to the false narrative about these COVID vaccines and the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, no, that's not the case, you know, these aren't necessarily, these are experimental, they haven't had a, a chance to be really tested. Um, I mean, how many times do you see in big pharma situations, 1-800-BAD-DRUG, or it takes a few years, everybody's got some sort of problem with it, or it it's got a bad ratio on, you know, death or mm -hmm. other injuries. Um, but when you have a pharmaceutical company that exempts itself from liability and pushes it this hard, you really have to step back and ask some questions. And the Supreme Court um, entered into what we as attorneys like to call circular logic. And circular logic is when you start with a, something that's false to begin with, and you're always going to end up with the wrong conclusion. Mm -hmm. And the falsity here, here is that these COVID vaccinations actually work, and that their vaccinations even by definition so when you start using words to change the reality of the situation that's where you're going to always end up with a false outcome that's right and i believe that south carolinians deserve to be living in the truth to deserve to be using words that define reality um, and that we need to fix some of the problems that we have here before we go and worry about too many things that are a globalist agenda and the current attorney general has notoriously over the last 11 years sided with the globalist agenda over the people of South Carolina. So yeah, I would that's ask. That's not good. No, no. That's not good at all. And when you talk about Supreme Court, you know, um, there was a justice that just here recently in the last couple months gave out a number on COVID deaths, hospitalizations, 150,000 is what she said. And everyone took it. And never like I mean there was a few obviously that corrected her but the mainstream media they they ran with it mm -hmm. and and it's just like you know that's false you know that's not right if you add up everything from the time it happened you don't get that number and she said this is new so this is this just happened a hundred and fifty thousand people mm -hmm. it's just like now this is coming from the highest court in the land that's scary to think about right Right. 
Well, even the word fact checkers, fact checkers started to change. You know, truly a fact checker used to be somebody who was looking for the facts and the truth and like right. citations. Mm-hmm. When you when you want to do facts, you know, you look for um, backup, you know, and and um, we that's where we as people who have, you know, minds to think and we get, you know, um, our our convictions that tell us what's maybe right or wrong you know whether you want to call it a moral compass or you want to call it you know intuition um these are things that that people have and that we need to use a little bit more of um because the original self-governance starts with the person individually and that's exactly where you want to um you know you want to govern the most is the most local right there that's right uh-huh. I agree. I agree. Well, and so we'll, um, and I know, you know, we're, we're short on time because you, you have your campaign event, your kickoff tonight, right? Yes. At the melting pot. And we're going to go there and kick off the campaign. I officially filed last week. Awesome. I have a great website and great, wonderful people helping me in this journey, um, to win and see victory on the 14th of June. My website is martel4ag.com, and you can sign up to volunteer through there. I would appreciate any donations. My husband and I are putting our sacred honor on the line, and, you know, we're doing this. We're, we're traveling the state. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very supportive of this. I am so thankful that I have a supportive spouse. That's, but that, that is very important. Yes, and this is this is the time in South Carolina for the people who want to choose to live free mm-hmm. and to acknowledge inalienable rights, to acknowledge that the government doesn't get to tell us how to practice our religion. You shouldn't have to even get an exemption and try to say how Christian you are for why you shouldn't why you should have bodily integrity. That's right. Um, you don't have to be forced to have a foreign substance put in your body against your will i agree that's not a free south carolina so vote it's not and get your friends to vote on june 14th and brandon it's such an honor to be here with you thank you so much oh your the honor is mine and i'm glad and like i said i know this was you know this was a we couldn't get as in depth because there was a lot going on between you know with my schedule and your schedule today and so the fact that we were able to to do this was amazing and so i know uh we're going to have another opportunity to really dive in depth of you know what's going on and all this and that and so um before we go if you could tell our listeners you know why they should vote for you for the next attorney general for south carolina because i will fight for the people of the state of south carolina i will bring the lawsuits that need to be brought to make sure that the constitutional rights are protected and to make sure that girls sports are protected that in the schools the health classes that have gone so off the rails Mm -hmm. obscenity laws that are already on the books should be enforced people should be prosecuted you know um the corruption that bubbled up to the surface in the local hampton county area with the alex murdoch stuff that went on you're probably familiar with that very familiar you know how much of a blind eye to corruption and to criminal behavior had to happen before, you know, light got shown there. Mm-hmm. So light that was needs, years. 
years of corruption right there. Yeah. So light the South Carolina people deserve better, and that's why they should vote for me. And I will absolutely listen to the issues as we get um, going in the campaign. I'm happy if somebody wants to send um, a request for an issue to be uh, researched and put up on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to do that. I don't think a lot of people know what the attorney general's job is. But as an elected official, um, it's really important to get to know that. And we did, you're right. We didn't get into uh, so many of the issues that are out there, but mm-hmm. human trafficking's one. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you can go down a list of the, the purview and the jurisdiction of the attorney general. And, um, you know, you've got a, a, a man who wants to protect the global corporations and just look at who donates to him. Mm-hmm. That tells a story. Yeah. Mako Medical. That's a big one right out of North Carolina. Then Mako Medical came down to South Carolina. And guess who they got a contract with? Who's that? SCD Heck. Mm. Imagine that. Imagine that. So the South Carolina people deserve better. And they need to help me win, though. It's, it's up to the people to rise up and go out and vote and vote in numbers just like they did in the Trump election. That's right. And voter integrity is a big deal. And don't think that that doesn't go unnoticed by me. But what we have to do is show up, vote, and do it in such numbers that there's no question that I win. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Well, you heard it here first. That's Lauren Martell. She is running for the South Carolina Attorney General. And again, like I say, it was an honor to have you, and I look forward to joining you guys tonight. So once I finish up here, then uh, I'm going to swing over there, and we're going to kick off the campaign. So, uh, And that's at the Melton Pot, guys. That's uh, down from 6 until 9. Yes. 6 to 9 at the Melton Pot. So if you guys want to come out, uh, Lauren, she's kicking off her campaign. It's a great environment. So come on. If there are any questions, you can speak to her firsthand. And uh, we're going to post all of her website, her Facebook, all that information in the description, just like we always do. So you can go click on it, check it out for yourself. And again, if you have any questions, shoot us an email or, you know, give Lauren an email and uh, we'll do our best to answer them for you. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. I'm your host, Brandon Peak, and this is Podcast 1854. This episode was brought to you by Peaks Production and the South Carolina Federation of Republican Men. If you guys like what you hear, go ahead and hit that support button. Every little bit helps. Make a small donation, or you could do a monthly contribution from $2.99 to $4.99 to $9.99. The option's up to you, but the support is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Tune in for the next one.